hey, hey, welcome to year three of the Business Fund Podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman. My guest today, Kate Howard, the Chief Commercial Officer of Ventilect. Uh, Kate did me a super solid because the computer I have used for the, to record the podcast for the last couple years, it blew up on me when the first time we recorded the podcast. So we had to redo it. But it worked out for all of you and for me because I got a chance to talk to Kate again and this podcast is a lot more current. We just did it a couple days ago and we, we get to a whole lot of stuff um, that's really, really relevant to this point in time when things are starting to reopen, right? Um, and on June 11th, capacity goes to 100% in D.C. Um, you know, I think pretty much things are open now. I went to the Nationals game on Sunday. I didn't have to wear a mask. It was crazy. I still felt a little odd being out without a mask on, but I, I got used to it. Um, I tried one of the worst beverages ever. Um, it was a great day at the ballpark. It was fun. Uh, make sure, if you haven't already, get the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's my weekly newsletter. It comes out on Fridays. It's dedicated to the business of marketing and selling live events. You can get it by hitting up talkingtickets.substack.com or you can send me an email. It's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com, and I will get you on this thing. Um, all kinds of great stuff in there every week, analysis, action items. Um, I get more emails about this thing, more. I enjoy it. It's just a great thing. So get the Talking Tickets newsletter. Check out my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Um, I was talking to Simon Mab. He told me that the refund protection uptake rates have almost doubled since the pandemic um, started and tickets have gone back on sale. So check it out, bookingprotect.com. Find out how you can give people peace of mind because looking at that data, people want that right now. Check out my friends also at ActivityStream. Uh, next week, I'm going to post a conversation I just had with Martin Gameltoff about the Activate email marketing platform that they've added to the ActivityStream ecosystem. It's a great tool. Uh, we also got just a bunch of stuff to talk about. It was also fitting because Martin seems to be the second guest I have on every time the calendar turns over and we start a new year. So Martin's coming on to talk about this. Um, but visit them at activitystream.com to find out what they're up to, learn more about the Activate email marketing platform. And I think we're going to have some stuff we're going to do in the fall that's going to be very fun, uh, very exciting and you know might even be helpful for you so check them out so back to kate so anyway kate howard uh she's awesome right and um it was really really cool because how do i want to put it uh, kate beat me to the punch on a lot of the stories and ideas that we wanted to talk about so we we hit a bunch of really great stuff the first, one of the big things we were talking about, though, is this ongoing um, effort that I've been teaming up with Eventelect on, which is to teach you about research and NPS score. So we hit that. We also talked about pricing. We talked about data. We talked about um, demand generation. We talked about content. We talked about uh, initial pricing, price integrity, the holistic pricing model. We talked about the unified single game ticket idea that Eventelect uses. We talked about some kind of big marketing things. We talked about the art and science of pricing, uh, dynamic pricing. We talked about partnerships. We talked about exclusive partnerships. We talked about um, 
you know, the, the na- once in a lifetime nature of going to a live event. We talked about, you know, how um, segmentation should be done. We talked about how probably Kate and I are a lot more alike if you're segmenting your audience based on behavior than you might think because we both go to a lot of games with our kids. Kate's just a really smart and savvy ticket person. And the way she approached it was really so refreshing because she's so very thoughtful. Um, And so I I just really had a great time talking to her. Uh, And she's going to be doing a panel with me at Ticket Summit in Las Vegas in August. So there's that to look forward to. Um, But I think you're really just going to enjoy hearing from Kate Howard from Eventelect on the Business of Fun podcast. All right. So I am going to introduce this wonderful young lady for a second time, but only the first time that you're going to hear it. It's Kate Howard. Kate, what's happening? Hello. Thank you for having me. I love that you called me young. Let's just keep that. I'm going to just continue to drink from the fountain of youth and require that people call me young forever. So perfect. I love that introduction. Please do. I say please do. (laughs) I feel like this is going to be awesome because the last time, I mean, unfortunately, it was an error on my part that destroyed the file. But we like people had thought we knew each other forever as opposed to like that was the first time we talked so this is only the second time we talked so this is going to be this is going to be awesome we have a band we have banter exactly (laughs) we we make it work that's what we do yes we're good like that i I think they shall call it it good podcast yes we're winning so much winning kate uh so (laughs) this is actually though this is great i mean it's not great that i screwed up the file for the first one but it's great because it's given us a chance to get a better understanding of what the post-pandemic ticket market might look like and so we can have a like a much different conversation and it's it's going to be a lot more fun, or it's going to be as much fun if not more than the first time let me put it like that um so i want to start out the first thing by asking you knowing that we're recording this on J- almost the first of june uh may 21st you know what does the opening up of tickets and on sales look like right now from the data you have and from what you're seeing with your partners in the market? Yeah. So, I mean, leading up to this point, I mean, in the limited capacity scenario, especially in baseball, I mean, we saw tremendous demand and we saw prices through the roof for the most part, which was fantastic. And we were hoping was a good indicator of, you know, what consumers were going to be in the mood for really um, coming out of this. Um, And then since then, we've had NFL schedule release, which was fantastic, which I think just cemented the idea that, yes, people are ready to get out. People are ready to go have fun in spaces with other humans and watch some events. Um, So those have been really good, strong indicators. Now, we have gone, um, in the words of Drake, zero to a hundred really fast in terms of moving from limited capacity into a hundred percent capacity, which I anticipate will be pretty much all the way there by July for, um, for genres performing in that time. Um, but so the question that, that everyone is kind of reading the tea leaves on right now is as we move into a hundred percent capacity, um, is demand at a hundred percent and will we, uh, will we start to see that? And I think, like I said, the indicators in terms of the NFL schedule release and how we've seen baseball perform and, and MLS to some extent, um, is good. And I think it's good, but we'll be watching closely um, and, you know, understanding more and more about consumers. And I think it's probably going to vary 
truly by market and um, quite honestly, the vaccination percentages that are happening in each of the markets. Um, I live in California and we were obviously an extremely locked down state, um, but now we are far above the national average in terms of vaccinations. And and it's been, you know, a a complete sea change in terms of um, what people are willing to do at this point. And so, with, you know, football coming back in September and we have the new SoFi Stadium um, with, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants and all of the other teams in our state. Um, it, at one point, we didn't even know if, if we would be able to open up past 25 percent for the, the rest of the summer. And um, as you may know, that California is opening up fully on June 15th. So those are really strong, great indicators. And I think we see the same thing across many other states. So. Long story long, I think it's going to depend on vaccination uh, numbers and those going up. I think it's going to also depend on masking requirements and just various requirements to get into events. You know, any friction or barrier to entry for consumers is never great for conversion, um, but it is what it is. And um, it'll really depend on on how badly people want to go to events, which right now it seems like they really want to go. Yeah, it's it's important to note the thing that you just said about friction, because any friction is not great to get people to go. Uh, there's a case study. Uh, I saw an article, I don't forget which paper it was in, in Australia, but that's a challenge that the Australian Football League is dealing with right now, mm-hmm. is that because of the friction, the masks, the distance mm-hmm. requirements, all these things, it has slowed down people returning. So it is very important to pay attention to that, because it's not necessarily certain that it's going to happen, but... If uh, it's happening in other countries and in other places, it's a good indication that it's probably something that you should be a- aware of, at least, you know, at least from where I sit. I want to ask you an- another question to follow up on the thing about demand being 100 percent, right? Mm-hmm. And having to go uh, or demand is good, but we're, it's going to vary from point to point. And it brings up this idea because we're, we've seen, I mean, from the first conversation, the state of the world is incredibly, I would say, almost 100% better than it was when we first talked. And we, we were talking about, mm. like, oh, by the fall, we would have data that would be um, relevant to tell, help us make, uh, you know, understand purchasing patterns. Um, mm-hmm. We were hoping that things would be open maybe by the fall. Now everything's going to be open probably by, really by July 1st, right? Like, uh, I think Joe Biden mm-hmm. said July 4th. Um, you know, so like a, fou- like a fire hose, really. Mm-hmm. What do we what do we do to help you know grow demand and make sure demand's stable and at the same time don't revert to um, you know pricing promotions right because I've already gotten um, let me see here a, a ballpark guesstimate right because I don't have my email application open in front of me about seventy five emails today with mm. different discount codes from around the country on there. And I did a presentation this week, so it's fresh in my mind about pricing correctly. Um, and we were talking about pricing patterns or uh, before we turned on the microphones, you know, so uh, w- from your point of view with the data you have, you know, what does the pricing look like and how do we make, how can we make some decisions to make sure we keep price integrity? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot there. And I think, you know, kind of thinking about pricing, holistically, right? And and starting with a strategy before you move to the tactic of discounting, right? So the way that we think about pricing um, is we start off with a lot of science and then 
get closer and closer to more of an art as you're into the meat of the landscape of the event life cycle. So the forecast starts. So we have a forecast for, you know, an entire season, and then we have a forecast for event by event. And what we use is bringing in historical data to bear the known environments, like the opponents, you know, forecasted team of performance, the schedule, all of those things, um, and bring that in to create a forecast for an event. Um, and then we have an event score and an event price and everything kind of radiates off that from the start. Um, with the idea being that we want to start an event off with a market clearing price so that the idea is that you are creating as much velocity as you can related to consumers feeling like they're getting a deal and also consumers being trained to buy early in an event, right? And an event life cycle. So the way that we price is to make sure that one, our best tickets are going out first at, you know, brand protective and market clearing prices. And then appropriately as tickets sell, putting tickets out, you know, across the rest of the, the life cycle, um, based on, um, you know, how tickets are selling and how demand is, is performing. So going back to, you have an initial price that you start with, and then you have to start reacting real time to what the market is doing. Um, and one of the things kind of going back to some of the things you were saying, and how do we generate demand? One of the things that's happening that I think is actually great is teams are starting to look at, you know, experiential demand generators like fireworks, like bobbleheads, right? And all of those things are fantastic because they they enhance the, the customer experience and they do generate demand. So when one of those things are announced, okay, you have to relook at your pricing and you have to realize like, hey, if a team announces a bobblehead, for example, um, the upper bowl is probably going to start moving a lot faster than it had originally, which has a you know direct relationship to how you price the lower bowl. Um, but again, you're guided by a forecast that you had from the beginning. So you always have kind of that North Star, and then you have elasticity within that to be able to react appropriately. And related to, you know, downward pricing pressure, um, it's it's sometimes it is necessary and appropriate, but mostly you should be focused on the percentage, right? You are wanting your prices to remain high and downward pricing should happen at a far smaller percentage um, than raising prices. Um, and doing that requires, you know, a lot of discipline, one, and also it requires understanding historical consumer behavior. So for example, you know, if you have an event on Saturday, and on Wednesday, you're looking at the event and stuff is just not moving as fast as you want. And your first instinct may be, I need to cut price, right? Well, hold on. Um, first of all, you know, how much are you going to cut price, right? If you're cutting a, a ticket from, let's say, uh, $28 down to $26, um, that's probably not going to be a inflection point for somebody deciding to buy a ticket or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Um, so really being deliberate, if you're going to take a price down, make sure that you're doing it in a way that you think that a consumer is going to react to. But number two, you got to look at your forecast and your pacing and you got to understand, well, if people haven't bought by Wednesday, a lot of those people were never going to buy until Saturday. And is changing the prices by down by a couple of dollars really going to make the difference for them? Or were they just going to buy that ticket at $28 on Saturday anyway? So that's how we try to think about 
pricing and pricing discipline because we really do want to make sure that we're not creating downward pressure on the market unnecessarily. Um, If a level of spoilage is going to happen, again, you have a forecast on that. And so you kind of understand what that is going to be ahead of time. So again, your tactics are really informed by your larger strategy so that you can make decisions rooted in your data and rooted in your experience so that you're not you know, uh, creating unnecessary volatility in the market, especially on the downside. Kate, you never disappoint with these answers. You always, <laughs> it's like, you know, we're like twins on this thing. So you, you talked about the historical data and having a forecast, knowing mm-hmm. that the environment we're operating in has changed entirely. What correlation is there to like the historical data and reality now? You know, how, how effective is this data? You know, because before we when we first talked, we were talking about like it's really no nobody knows for sure. And now we're a couple weeks past that. You know, what what's happening there? You know, is it like more like we still are kind of waiting and seeing or are we seeing any kind of direct correlation? Yeah, well, so I mean, COVID and limited capacity was such a moment in time. Right. So we can't base, you know, our 100% pricing strategies on what was happening during limited capacity, but it has to be informed by it just as it's informed by the 2019 behavior and 2018 behavior, right? So, you know, do I think that still pod sizes will be smaller than they would normally be in, you know, let's say when we're a year from now? Yes, probably. And so we definitely take that into account. Um, But we're not constricted at this point on a must have in terms of pod sizes. Like, so for example, you know, people are allowed to sit next to each other. So we don't have to limit our inventory based on how many two packs we have, but are people still going to choose to have less members of their family or friends come to an event? Possibly. Although we still, you know, even when we talked a few weeks ago, that was starting to shift, especially in family friendly events um, like MLS and baseball, you know, people were starting to go up and four packs were definitely starting to be more prevalent. Um, so it has to be informed by this last year, but you're right. We're not using, you know, this last year as a template for how we strategize around what hundred percent capacity looks like. Um, but it is a data point that you have to recognize and look at. And when you're looking at your pacing for the event, um, you have to think about the fact that, okay, you know, what's the percentage of vaccinations? What's the percentage of one shot versus two shots? Um, one of the kind of, things that we saw when the uh, vaccinations first came out is kind of a lull in behavior between first shot and second shot, right? Because people were getting their first shot. And even anecdotally in, in our office, no one wanted to mess up you know, that point of, (laughs) I got my first shot. I've gotten this far. I do not want to, um, you know, get COVID in between my first and second shot. So people were really laying low, right? So we're kind of past that. But in a lot of states still, they're ramping up into their, um, the prevalence of vaccines being available and, you know, vaccine hesitancy being overcome. So there's like little kind of anecdotal bits like that, that again, kind of going back to that idea of, you want to be rooted in science, but there also requires a level of art and human nuance to be able to inform that science. And like, you know, a lot of people talk about AI and machine learning and those things are great. Automation is super important in order to scale. And there's a lot of things that, you know, that we do that are automated, but in order for a machine to learn, um, 
a human who understands nuance has to teach it. That's why it's called machine learning, right? So it's super important to have people who are watching all of these kind of anecdotal elements of the business and the market and the landscape and being able to um, take action based on that and kind of inform uh, the strategy based on all of those things. Again, Kate, you like you, you, you say all the you know how to, t- to talk my language here, because one of the awesome things that you said is how pricing is an art and a science. And then you talked about, you, you know, all these great tools. They're still art and science. Um, you know, one of the things that I mean, there's so much you, you, you do this to me. Um, you bring up all the good, all the good <laughs> Flattery ideas. Flattery will get you everywhere, Dave, how, everywhere how do, you want to go. <laughs> how do you get people to like you? You start out by, or like, by liking them, right? Or something, you know, <laughs> and then how it goes. But, but it's like, it's, it's so cool. And the, uh, I was going to say with the anecdotal thing of at between, the law between your first and second shot, uh, how do the kids like you say it, it me? Is that the internet? <laughs> Like yeah, that's it. what the yeah. kids are saying these days. Yeah, it, yeah. That's exactly right. I was like laying low. I was like, going, I'm not getting sick now. I've gotten this far. I totally was saying that. <laughs> uh, now, but one question I wanted to have, because you brought up the idea of understanding the timing of the people's buying patterns. And the example I thought you used was pretty awesome of when, you know, between Wednesday and Saturday. And people probably aren't going to buy the ticket if they haven't bought by Wednesday until the last minute anyway, because now you're in that window. Probably it's... My maybe my information from doing it on the secondary market for a long time is a little outdated, but it was always about seventy two hours. Like if you didn't sell out by like Tuesday or Wednesday, then you were you were going to have all your inventory sitting there until Friday and Saturday for the weekend, Mm -hmm. and that was that was the way it worked. Now. I have beef with discounts, right? It's a well known Mm -hmm. beef. It's a long term beef. It goes back to um, really actually it started when I started out in nightclubs. So my dislike of discounts goes back a very very long time many many years um how how do you have that conversation we need to get you and discounts in the ring and you guys need to need to hash it out you should see the slide you You should see my slideshow kate you should see my my my, uh, because i basically body slam discounts in the slideshow it's pretty good (laughs) (laughs) um but how do you have that conversation because one of the things about the secondary market that's great Mm-hmm. In my opinion, is that you can, in the secondary market you can discount you can, you know because you can you, you can hide behind this this the free market it reflects the demand you know you do all these things but mm-hmm. if the team does it it's a discount it undermines the brand it uh, you know it breaks promises to their customers they feel duped you know there's all these studies that show all these things how do you have the conversation? around this thing around going look here's the data that says don't discount today uh you know because they weren't gonna buy they were five dollars off isn't gonna save you save you anyway they weren't gonna buy that thing you know so that we can cut out some of the or avoid some of these heavy heavy discounts that really just train people to wait longer and longer and it creates it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that people are like going well i'll just wait till friday to go see if there's tickets for the game on saturday because there's always a better deal Right. So it goes back to um, your relationship and shared objectives, right? Our best partnerships are with teams that we are having top of the funnel conversations with about strategy for the upcoming season. And when you do that, you're able to have these conversations and figure out a starting strategy that makes sense. And if one of the concerns is downward pressure on pricing, well, then let's figure out how to create a market that incentivizes, you know, stability. Um, so that's, that's one of the conversations that we have. 
And, you know, one of our business models is being an exclusive partner to um, content. And what that really does is allow content to have much more visibility and understanding of the nuance of the market. Um, because what happens if you have, for example, a lot of brokers in your market um, or even um a strong season ticket base who then set the market on the secondary. Um, both of both of those things can be detrimental. But if you're working with someone on a unified single game strategy, which I can define in a minute, basically what you're doing is is taking all of your single game inventory and you're working through it together and you're figuring out the best possible strategy together. So if you're doing that at the front end, um, it takes a lot of the mystery out of what's going to happen later in the cycle because you're talking through some of those challenges early. And when you're working with someone like us at Eventelect, you know, a lot of times what we're doing is taking that pressure off of you um, and telling you up front, hey, this is what we think, again, going back to forecast and science and historical data. This is what we think this season will look like. And this is why. And this is, and, and even going a step further than that and saying, okay, if you win these first four games, then, you know, this remains the same. If, if you lose here, or if this partner who's a usually, a, or this opponent who is usually a good travel draw is not doing well and not having a great season, then we're going to have to adjust the thinking and, and the pricing. So you really, the idea is that it's transparent and that you're trying to eliminate surprises because even though this is a volatile industry, there's a lot that can be known. Um, and so we try to talk through those things. And if you have the right pricing strategy up front, there should be much less of a need um, to discount later. And that's the conversation that we have. And, and, and it, there's healthy tension there and right. Healthy conversation, but that, that makes us both better. Right. Oh, absolutely. And you said it earlier too. It's both art and science. And I think that one of the struggles that people deal with is that in pricing, unlike most aspects of marketing, there's a lot of gray area, right? Like to me, you know, I, my marketing degree is a bachelor of science and I think of marketing as a science, right? It's a, there's a mm. very much a process that goes into it. And, you know, what I hear from you is that pricing it demands the same amount of research and attention that any other thing you're going to analyze in your business does. And it's to not analyze your price and to not understand the peaks and valleys, the variables and constraints that go into it means that you're missing a great opportunity but you know maybe i'm wrong because you're 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 the one who's like here laying laying it on for me today so i'm gonna let you shine (laughs) on this topic no you're you're i'm just gonna go over here and body slam discounts for a few minutes perfect (laughs) perfect no you're absolutely right i mean price pricing is one of the you know one of one of the most important things that you know that you're going to look at in your business um but there's the other pieces as well i mean there's you know the 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 experience for the fan. There's, you know, making tickets accessible for fans no matter where they shop. And that gets back to what we call our unified single game strategy, which is really just about marrying the objectives of the content um, and us and 
and the fan so that no matter where they go to shop, because we know that they're not loyal to where they shop, they're, they're, they're going to Google. They're loyal to Google, right? So you want to make sure that you're merchandising your inventory across all of the different potential channels um, that are available to shoppers. And you want them merchandised in the right way, priced in the right way. And you want your tickets put out and broadcast in a way that makes sense. Like never in a million years would we dump all of our inventory out at one time. Like that's not the way to merchandise your tickets. And that's not the way to, um, to get consumers to buy in the way that you think is most effective and fills your building in the way that you want it to be filled. So um, pricing is important. It's a piece of the pie. Um, But also there's a a holistic strategy that goes into it. And pricing is really, you know, there's twofold, right? There's single game pricing, there's season pricing. And then you look at kind of the market dynamics across all of the different marketplaces and how, you know, the, the free market prices your tickets, right? So there's, there's so many different aspects to it, um, which is why we, you know, take pride in coming to teams with a holistic strategy, right? We have tools and we have transparency and we have data, um, but that's only part of it. You know, we, we really have more of a full service solution that is about, you know, of course, products and tools and, and all of that, but it's about um, a wealth of resources that encompasses all of those things, um, including, you know, culture and, um, and employees and all of those kinds of things that come together to create the environment where innovative things can happen with teams. Um, and we can really bring our shared expertise to bear and, and help each other thrive. Yeah, no, it, the holistic thing is, is great. And, you know, and pricing is super important. And the way that you talk about it, you know, I really enjoyed the part where you talked about adding experiential things and, you know, increasing the perceived value of the ticket or the event, because I uh, call me old fashioned, but, or just call me old Kate. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> never, never. <laughs> but one of the really like missed opportunities or one of the big potential opportunities is to wrap your ticket in all of the mm-hmm. awesome things that go on when you go to a game and to amplify those at every touch and turn, right? It, it, you know, it's, there are a lot of people, um, you know, that come to teams, they come, you know, they come to platforms, platforms, teams, companies, whatever, they come to them and they go, it's just a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and to an, an extent, it may act like a commodity, but my philosophy on marketing is that there is no such thing as a commodity. Everything can have its value enhanced. Everything can be positioned in a way that creates value. What I hear in our conversation is that you're, that's your point of view as well. It's like we need to work on elevating the perception of value, you know, and that'll help with demand generation and that'll help with price integrity and it will help. It'll have a cascade effect on all these positive outcomes. So you said we come to our partners with a holistic strategy. You know, how do you what do you talk about when you talk about elevating the experience? You know, what do, how do you, you know, how do you have that conversation? I know I backtracked like about a half hour, but um, we, we were getting into so much good stuff about the pricing. I, but I didn't want to miss that because the experience is unique. It's one of a kind every night, no matter what you go see. It's the only time it's ever going to happen. Right, exactly. And that's the thing, right? When when we come to teams, what we want 
to do and what we want to help them do is focus on the elements that only the content uniquely can control. And the truth of the matter is only content can really drive demand. And the way they drive demand is, of course, the biggest thing is is performance, right? Team performance. But the other things are experiences, the way their fans feel, the the in-game events, the giveaways that they have. And so what we want to do is is take the burden of some of the things like, you know, you know, moving some of these single game tickets, pricing, understanding all of the nuance of the secondary market and all of the nuance of all of these different marketplaces. And I mean, as you know, having worked in, in, in this industry for a long time, there's so much that goes into, you know, getting your tickets out on the open market. Um, and fans don't see a difference between primary and secondary anymore. That line has really been completely fully blurred, if not erased. And so, but there still is complexity in terms of just like the nitty gritty, and this is going to bore anyone that isn't in this business, but like, you know, ticket fulfillment APIs and, and integrations around that and, and, uh, you know, order inventory feeds and, and different selfies by different marketplaces. Teams are not necessarily equipped to deal with all of that. And yet there's this huge audience over here that's utilizing these platforms. But what the teams can do is focus on their marketing, focus on their fan experience and generate demand, which then you know, rising tides lift all boats, right? So that's really our value proposition is let us come to you and help you and support you and your staff and all of these things that we have been working in for, you know, the last 17 years um, and let you shine where you shine, which is selling season tickets in the appropriate places, creating incredible fan experiences and making sure, you know, that your fans have access to your tickets. That's really kind of what what I see it being all about. I mean, I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> we I mean, are in goes, violent agreement. Yeah, we are in violent <laughs> agreement on most things. Uh, but it brings up two important topics that people really, I think they struggle with. And I think it's it goes back to this thing about, I think it's just a week. So, you know, in some ways it's a, a very interesting time we live in, but it's also just a weird time where people don't necessarily, um, they feel like if they don't do something well, that is some it's a black mark against them. That it's like some like negative thing. And it's the idea of core competencies. We, none of us can do everything well, right? Mm-hmm. We just, there's a couple things we can do better than, you know, everything else that we do. And so it makes sense to focus on those two or three things. Like you said, driving demand, increasing the, uh, improving the marketing and making sure the experience is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. every bit, every team should be focusing on that because those are three things they, like you said, can absolutely control. And on top of that, I think that one thing I've been trying to teach everybody about is the idea of touch points. And what it was, was like during the pandemic, I studied touch points, right? And it's just, you know, you can define it in any number of ways. It's just really the buyer path, right? And I don't think people understand how long it is and how much longer it is than people think about it. And then that all these little things add up over time. So that like Mm -hmm. those emails that people are sending out that are like kind of just thrown together and like, you know, not well thought out, those detract, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to like think about these because if I'm not wrong or if I am, you know, unless I am wrong, I guess is the better way of putting it. These touch points, again, fall right into those core competencies, you know, and focus on the experience, focus on the marketing 
and focus on just making sure that you that you are driving demand through all the mechanisms you have because you have world class content every day, you know, mm. and it's stuff that like only happens once, right? It's like Broadway has eight shows a week, right? Even if you went to see, I went to see the producers, right? Here's a, here's an example. I went to see Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick and the producers. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but I think at least, I think either four or five times. Oh, Every wow. Perf- I'm yes. impressed. Yes. Well, and I loved it. I, 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 um, the first time I saw it, I said, it's a fantastic show. It's a great movie. It's an yes. amazing show. Well, knees pressed against the stage. And I was losing it, right? Like, it was yeah. the greatest thing I ever did. But it was an entirely different experience than every other time. And, you know, mm. the point being that, like, it doesn't matter exactly who's playing, right? Performance does impact things, right? There's no doubt about it. But the, the other aspects that performance um, doesn't replace can still be awesome, right? Because people went to Cubs games for years when the Cubs weren't yeah. very good. Uh, people went to Fenway Park for Years and years and years, and it didn't matter, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of good examples in other sports where p- baseball has the, the those two examples are probably the best. You can control these things, and it, it's just you have to. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable that these aren't the priorities, or you know. And now is a really good time for people to focus on those because it's 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 really important. Absolutely. I mean, the experience of going to an event. Um, like you said, it, it's about brand building and, and creating this environment where, you know, whether or not the team wins or loses, I still feel like I got out there and I had some fun. Right. Um, and and that's the idea. And especially like with, you know, these family friendly events. And, you know, when I take my daughter out to, you know, games and things like that. I'm excited about her walking around the concourse and, you know, seeing the stands and buying, you know, a frozen malt, you know, from our seats and like have it's the whole experience. Right. And so and there's different this and this goes to another point. We could go off on a tangent forever, but like different customers requiring different things. Right. So I'm a mom now and, you know, way more boring than some of the, you know, my younger counterparts who want to go to an event and they don't even want to sit in a seat. They don't even want to sit in a seat. They want to go and have kind of more of a bar party experience and watch the game um, from a club and maybe not even ever buy a seat, maybe just buy a ticket to entry. Right. So, like you said, those touch points, knowing your customers, knowing what they're going to be interested in. Not only are you creating content every day with what's out there, you know, on the court or on the field or whatever, you know, you're also creating content on social media. Like, I love being delighted by something funny that a team or a brand puts out, you know, um, mm-hmm. far more than I like receiving an email. Um, and stays in my mind longer. And so, like, those are the types of things. And teams are, you know, get there's teams that are doing a fantastic job already and everyone's getting better uh, you know every day um but as just a consumer those are the types of touch points that really get me um and even during these pandemic times you know some teams were fantastic about still engaging you know season ticket holders and sending you little packages in the mail even if it was like cookies with their brand on it or whatever just keeping them top of mind and saying hey you know we may not be playing right now or you may not be able to come to our game right now. Um, but we still remember you as a fan like that. That stuff works. It just does. Oh yeah. There's a, um, a picture I shared in my newsletter talking tickets a couple weeks ago of the package that the Boston Red Sox premium team sent to their 
um, premium buyers because they had to replace like the experience they give them during spring training with something that didn't require people to get on a plane and travel to Florida. Um, you know, and they were constantly sending like people notes and messages and engaging with people. It's again, these touch points are so super important and you just have to understand that, like you said, Kate, different buyers, different people value different things at different times in their life. There's no straight line on demand or experience or value. And that's why the pricing thing is so important to me because I look at it as the MVP moment, the most valuable moment, because it's where you capture some of the value mm-hmm. you created. But mm-hmm. you you have to understand what's driving behavior, which, you know, you're talking about like being a mom, you know, and my son, he's 11. You know, I, I go to games way differently than I did when I was at 45 than I did when I was 35 or 25 even. Right. And, right. You know, and it's a whole different experience. But to then try to lump me in with like, another you know 45 year old dad you probably are they're probably going and doing something entirely different as well be, just because i have a different experience with the games and events that point of understanding your audience and doing the research that it takes to rec- to understand what drives behaviors it may seem tedious it may seem unnecessary but it's probably the most important thing i think people can do right now because this last year and a half has changed people we we have i'm not sure and this is a question i'm going to ask you and maybe you don't know the answer because maybe you haven't seen it yet but there's been migration patterns people have moved to different cities different locations mm-hmm. they started prioritizing different things this idea of understanding dave or kate better because of you know compared to um shoot i forgot now and now i can't remember you know maybe even will right we will talk about will we'll, we'll plug will while we're on here it's going to be entirely <laughs> different right he's a young guy he's going to be <laughs> he's younger than us <laughs> but right. yeah you I have know. to understand this it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. essential uh, you know so my question is how have you seen like some of these this data but especially behavioral data and how much has it changed or like what what's new and unique and different that we can point people towards Yeah. So I think, you know, um, brands are getting much better and and teams are getting much better at at segmenting um, the consumers. Um, It used to be, you know, back, I don't know, seven years ago um, when, you know, millennial was the was the the term. Right. We got to we got to reach millennials. We got to reach millennials. Right. And millennial is is such a wide swath of people. Um, I also body slam millennial in my presentations. Okay, great. So Pat Ryan, um, you know, that one of the founders of Event Select actually just sent around an article um, about geriatric millennials, which, by the way, is me. And I felt I felt attacked and triggered by that term. But it's true in that the idea was that, you know, a, a geriatric millennial, which is I like to call an early adopter millennial, like, you know, born around, you know, 1982, 1983 is vastly different from a millennial who was born in 1994, right? That mm-hmm. were just totally different times in their lives and looking for different things. And so if you kind of understand that and start to segment more strategically and more specifically, then you can market to me differently than you would market to um, like, Will. you know, so, mm-hmm. um, so I think like looking at it that way, and those behaviors are definitely starting to change. I mean, teams have been looking at big data now for a while, and I think, um, you know, struggled to figure out how to make all of this 
insight and all of these inputs coming in actionable. Um, but I think the places that they're most actionable are in the customer experience perspective and and um, and less so in some of the other tactical areas around email lists, right? Um, it's really more about how to create the experiences for fans that are going to your events and, and do you know who's going to your events and how to service them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it remains a question that's still being answered and still being ta- um, tackled in terms of how how best to um, to create a strategy around it. But I've definitely seen movement. Well, the the way the example you used too is like between eighty three and ninety three would probably be the difference between your formative teenage years being around the. I, I I'm gonna screw this up. This is totally gonna be awful, and you're, you can laugh. It's totally fine, but maybe like when you were a teen, just starting a teenager, you were catching the tail end of grunge, and then like if you were ninety three, then you're catching you, you, when you started become a teenager, you're catching the tail end of like in sync and all of those like boy bands, and that's a huge exactly. difference. So, yeah, I was going to go like, I was about to date myself like tremendously at that point. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, exactly. Like the Pearl Jam versus the Spice Girls. That know? was the one I was going to uh, use, Kate. That was exactly yeah. the one. Okay, yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, we just we just have to understand those nuances and um, – and, and it's exciting and it's fun and it is so fun to be working in events. I mean, you get to do stuff where people go out and have a good time. Like what could be better, right? And so like having all of these quote unquote problems, they're not problems at all. They're challenges and obstacles that can be overcome. Um, and I just think this business has so much more innovation to come. And and this past year has been a challenge, but I think that um, everyone is so energized to come roaring back and really have, um, you know, an exciting fan experience for years and years to come. Yeah. That would be my challenge to people is like going, just try to like, I guess, trick yourself into moving beyond like the way we've always done things because there's so much opportunity like to, to innovate and to add value and to like make things fun. You know, it's the um, segmentation thing. The best one I've seen example is that um, the one that shows Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> next to each other. And then the second best one is Prince George and Machine Gun Kelly are like the same like Gen Z or whatever the thing is. <laughs> it's, it's, both of them, which prove how pointless it is to uh, make your segmentation by age brackets. You know, do it right. by behavior. I mean, come on. Like, you know, yes. probably yes. Like, you, know, you, you might not think it, but I would, I'm going to guess that both my behavior and Kate's behavior is much more similar than, you know, you know, probably because I think our age bracket, I would be Gen X and you might be a millennial than you would get by looking at us as Gen X and millennials. And that right. should prove a point. Um, yes, absolutely. Let, let me ask you one final set of things here before we wrap up and we go on with our Friday afternoons and have some fun, I hope, for the weekend. Um, when we first started talking about doing the podcast, um, you know, we were talking about some research that you did at the start of the pandemic to understand your market better. And one of the cool things that came out of the research was you tested your net promoter score. And months on from when we first started talking about this, I'm still jealous of the 77 because <laughs> I did one for like some of the stuff I did and the highest I have is 67. I'm, I'm catching up is what I'm saying. Um, but you, 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 <laughs> I, you, we almost have to stop making or I have to stop making jokes because we sound I sound not serious about this because I'm very serious about this because you went and did some really really incredible research 
And it brought back just tremendous information about what people want, need, and value from you, right? Which is incredibly valuable, no matter what business or part of the business you're in. And it gave you that net promoter score, which 77 is unbelievable. It's past companies like that you would think of as like having great products like Starbucks or Apple or Tesla, right? It's unbelievable. But when we first talked about it, we were still kind of in that process where we don't know what was going to happen with the the pandemic and, you know, when things would start mm-hmm. to open up. And, you know, some of the data, the, the research was great. The data you had was awesome, but how you were going to use it was still yeah. up in the air. You know, so my question is like now as it's emerged, you know, A, you know, how valuable has the doing the research been for you, you and your business? And number two, how have you been able to apply some of that now that like people are coming out, starting to have events go on sale, starting to operate a little bit more closer to normal again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, yes, that we, we did see incredible results from that. Um, and it was really important to us to create a baseline for our customers. And it's important to ask your customers how you do how you're doing. And and it's vulnerable because you you actually really do want want the feedback. And as awesome as the good feedback is, um, getting you know the valuable uh, constructive criticism or hey we want to see more of this is is actually far more valuable. So that's where we really keyed in. It's like okay, you know. We're so happy that, you know, generally um, people really like working with us and find value in what we're doing. And but also what what else what else can we do? And a lot of the feedback that we got was, you know, um, around like pricing, right? Like it, it's just a core element. Right. So so clients are really interested in, you know, understanding our um, proprietary software and how we figure out our pricing and, and, and the operational impacts of that and all of that stuff. So continuing to be more and more transparent. Also altering our roadmap, if if appropriate. You know, if we got a trend in comments about something that customers want to see from us, and it was further down on the roadmap than maybe we anticipated the importance being, um, then we changed it, you know? And that's what the, this type of um, survey does for a company, is just allows us to prioritize better um, based on what our, comp- our customers are saying that they need. Um, so, you know, pricing, you know, came out as one being people just being really interested in that and wanting to understand more, um, you know, wanting to have uh, a more holistic strategy, you know, again, really marrying up um, this idea of having one objective and one goal together to try and drive um, single game sales and have a unified strategy there so that they can focus on um, their season ticket and marketing efforts. So, those are the ways that we really kind of took it and, and we'll do it again. Um, you know, it's, it'll probably be something that we do once a year and try and understand, you know, where did we, where did we exceed? Where did we fall short? Where can we innovate more, um, is really the goal there. Um, but again, you know, where we saw the most impact is determining how to prioritize our roadmap. Um, and also the level of transparency that our partners really want to see in terms of what we're doing and the level of communication. And so we've really ramped that up over the course of the pandemic in terms of um, engagement, communication, um, and really, you know, opening up the robe, if you will. Yeah, no, I I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm like blowing smoke or anything, but I was, you know, I was able to look at some of the stuff and what you've, how you've translated it has really been great because you did take the information and you applied it. And, it, you know, it's 
like you said, you want the feedback. And then what happens a lot of times is you get the feedback and you go, oh, no, I don't want that feedback. And you turn away <laughs> from it. Um, but you didn't. And it's actually, you know, be, you know because I know every, every all of you, you have used it very well. And it has come up and it's allowed you to, um, you know, change your operations for the better. And that's really the power of doing research, right? It it allows you to do things better, right? Because I said, and I believe it was from talking to you the first time in our lost conversation was that I, it it made, it helped me make a change, right? Like talking to you about what, how the research impacted you. And I think it was, um, we were talking about the way you present insights and how you give, Mm. you know, you lay things out so you can get digest the insights quickly. And then if you want to go deeper, we give you that too. And I, you know, that made me change the way I, I, you know, I write some articles and I do my newsletter each week is like, let me give you the big ideas at the top. And then if you care more, you go in deeper, but no matter what, I get that big point across. And that was a, to me, that was a great insight that you provided. And I know all of that came out of the research and the fact that you created a baseline for me as a marketing nerd, that's that's the gold standard because you can't just measure it once you have to track it over time right you know you have to track your net promoter score your branding all these things it's really great and then you apply it it's you know and so i thought the the study was really well done and i was really impressed with the the the, you know the the information and the feedback you were able to get from your customers it was awesome oh well thank you i'm a geek for this stuff though this is like yeah (laughs) yeah uh not just a class clown but a marketing geek (laughs) Right, right, exactly, exactly. Very, you know, niche industry talk, but like, this is the meat and potatoes, you know, this is what we do. And this is, um, you know, people that want to go into into sports, like, it's glamorous, but but it's actually more what we're talking about right now than anything else, right? Like you, it's it's digging in, it's being vulnerable to feedback, it's um, it's trying things and then trying them again. It's it's all of that stuff, and so um, yeah, it's the perfect place for geeks. People don't know that sports is great for geeks. Let me just oh put, let, let me just put that out there. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm like just a marketing geek that happens to work around like events a lot of times, <laughs> you know. But but it's great because you have like a really you can get the feedback so very quickly, right? You can if you're doing it well, if you experiment, you learn you can learn and adjust very very quickly. It's very it's, it's very cool to do that. This is if yeah. the kids are the, the the kids in classes are listening to us now. It's very cool right. to experiment. Uh, you just have to find <laughs> the right organization. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Come hang out with us in the old people section. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Kate, where do people find you on the internet? I am on LinkedIn, um, and you can find me under Kate Howard. Um, and also, we have our event elect page as well. So, if you want to learn more about that, um, that's where I am. Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you for coming back and, uh, you know, helping me repair my mistake. Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. We iterated. That's what we did. That's right. I like that, t- that term. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was fun. What did you think about my conversation with Kate Howard? Let me know. You can send me an email. It is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. And let me know. Uh, make sure you check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. It's going through some renovations right now. I got hacked by the Russians, I think. Um, but that's okay. It's time for a refresh anyway. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, there'll be some exciting new things on the website. It's going to be awesome. Um, make sure you check out uh, my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Like I said at the start, Simon tells me that refund protection uptake has 
almost doubled since tickets have started to go on sale during the pandemic. That tells me that people are looking for certainty and peace of mind when they make purchases. If you haven't already looked into refund protection, it could be a valuable tool in getting people to purchase now with certainty. Uh, things are opening up tremendously, right? There's things everywhere. Uh, full capacity in a lot of places here in the States and um, you know, fans in England, fans in Australia, fans in places all over the world. So check them out. That's bookingprotect.com. Talk to the team there. Find out how you can offer your organization. Uh, your organization can offer refund protection to your customers. I know from experience that um, it improves your customer service. It improves your uh, reputation and it, and it improves the perception of value that people gain from the purchase process with a business. So check them out. Also hook up with my friends at Activity Stream. Like I said, Martin Gamatoff coming on the podcast next week. We're going to talk about the Activate email marketing campaign system. Um, I can't speak highly enough about the people at Activity Stream. They have been great friends and partners to me over the years. Uh, the new tool is awesome. They did the We Will Recover project uh, to help people get through the pandemic. Um, the Activity Stream platform uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to turn your data into cool, magical moments. If you haven't listened to me and Martin talk about the magical moments uh, over the years, you've been missing out. So go back and search those in the archives, but check them out, activitystream.com. If you liked what Kate and I were talking about, about research, I've teamed up with Eventelect to put together a net promoter score worksheet. It's simple. It helps you understand what Net Promoter Score is, how to do the survey yourself, and it gives you some context. Um, Eventelect had a 77 when they did their research at the start of the pandemic. That's unbelievable, right? Um, talking tickets, I do one pretty regularly about three times a year, and I've improved mine, and I'm at like a 67. So 77 is unbelievable. It is up there with Tesla and Starbucks and Apple, uh, companies that you think of as having extremely high customer satisfaction. Uh, it's great. If you want to get the worksheet, send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. I will send it to you. Uh, it walks you through the whole process. It's great. Uh, make sure you get your tickets to Ticket Summit in August. Uh, I'll be there talking with Kate Howard again. Um, still pulling together a few more people. It's going to be great. Um, I should have a few more details about things next week to share with you. So it should be a very fun thing. But check out TicketSummit.com. Uh, I will be speaking. It's going to be awesome. Um, make sure you get the Talking Tickets newsletter. TalkingTickets.substack.com um, Year three. This is amazing. This is episode like 140 something. This is awesome, right? The pandemic is lessening its stress on me, you know, so, uh, but I thank you for being here and listening. Um, strangely enough, every time I put out a podcast, people still listen. So thank you for that. Um, if you have any ideas, suggestions, things you need to learn or want to learn more about, let me know. Um, this has been great. I'm going to put together a, and put it into the podcast stream, my pricing presentation from the National Sports Forum uh, with a few updates over the next week or two. We have Martin, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. 
But, you know, I just want to take a moment to thank you once again for being a listener, um, for engaging with me, for working with me, for being a partner, for all those cool things. And until next time, I'll see you soon. Take care.